This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Okay, let's get going. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Denise Erickson, um, and um, my background is television since Adam was a baby, so that's my main qualification for being here. Um, I do begin, though, by acknowledging the traditional owners and custodians of the land upon which we meet today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Um, my, um, just so for those who I haven't met, um, I'm a TV writer for the New Daily, which is an online newspaper, and I'm a, um, Lon- a Sydney, um, Melbourne representative of TRX, a rights exchange, which is a new online platform distribution service. But I am incredibly grateful today for murderers, rapists, criminals because everywhere we look on television, we've got shows about them. And without all of those horrible, nasty, shocking people, none of us would be here today. And we thought it was a really good opportunity to look at what is this fascination with, you know, bearing the souls of really revolting people on our screens. And what better to do it with the people that are here with me today? Um, The good news is I'm not actually going to go through big, long details about who they are, because I'm sure you can read their bios along with me. But I'll just introduce them by name. Um, Far right is Stephen Oliver from the ABC. Second, next to him, um, Jim Buchan, who runs all sorts of channels at Foxtel, including CI. Um, Susie Jones from SBS. Laura Fleury from A&E. And Deb Byrne from Channel 7. Um, I'm actually going to just breach that rule for a little bit because I think what we do have to understand from Laura... Um, is, you know, what is A&E? But before I do that, I've got a little question for each of them. And I'm going to start with Stephen, who was actually complaining a minute ago that the men were on the far outer, and I said it's appropriate because it's International Women's Day. So I'll ask him first. Um, What's the first crime you remember growing up? I have a small memory of growing up in... um just north of London in the home county is a fairly nondescript place and um, I, we lived next to some woods and there was a, a field of horses that this this teenage girl would go and feed the horses every day and one day she um, was attacked in the woods right next to our house. My older brother, I had to call my older brother who lives in America now, He's, um, he lives there to say what was that, what was that crime, what happened because it was really hazy for me. And it turns out that she was about 18 and she was feeding the horses and this guy came out of the woods and tried to attack her. What it turns out is that she was a black belt in karate. Awesome. And a strong lesbian. And she just totally kicked the shit out of him. <laughs> and threw him, in, threw him into a pile of brambles. And he was literally spotted trying to get out. She ran off screaming because she was obviously upset by it. But she threw him in the bushes and he was covered in cuts and he was... Arrested. My brother's gay, lives in America, and he was just really happy that this horrible heterosexual <laughs> predator was thrown, and, and he was caught. So that was the first memory of a crime. A good, a good International Women's Day one. Jim. Someone stole my Coca-Cola yo-yo in my class no. when I was aged about oh. five, and I was devastated. Did you Turned kill around. them? 
Well, I never found out, but I knew that I'd been wronged and there was theft just right next to me. Um, uh, apart from that, I remember the, that Jonestown massacre was very big in my mind. There was images of um, bloated dead people that had drunk kind of like Ribena and died. I couldn't understand how that could happen, but that was a very vivid memory. And, um, and that's probably the first big thing I remember that was confronting. Yeah. So saying. Um, I, the one that sticks out in my mind is the James Bolger murder from the UK. I think because it was so dark and unfathomable, um, it just really has burnt into my brain. Yeah. Um, Deb? Uh, true life crime was probably my own when I shoplifted when I was about eight and felt guilt and got caught. Um, so it's always fascinated me how people can do naughty things and get away with it because the guilt just killed me. <laughs> Laura. Uh, well, I, I remember Jonestown too. That was probably the most the, the one I remember. But but personally, I, I had a, an experience when I was in the junior high school. So you're about 12 or 13. And I was a, kind of a nerd. And I used to do the morning announcements in the office. And there was always this boy in the office who was in trouble because he was waiting to see the principal. <clears throat> and he would always look at me in this very, very creepy sort of way. And I got this really weird feeling about it. Anyway, it turns out a couple of years later, he murdered both of his parents. Oh Oh. And we actually ended up covering that story in when I was an adult and working in, in crime stories. So, uh, true life. Sometimes uh, when you get a bad vibe, it, it, there's a reason. <laughs> and <laughs> so then it makes great tally. Trust your instincts is what I learned from that. And it makes great tally later in your career. <laughs> yeah, although I did not, I was not in the show. Oh. <laughs> so. Okay, let's start with you, um, Laura. I'd love it if you just. Tell us a little bit about A&E because you guys really are some of the leaders of crime production and commissioning in, in the world. So could you just give us a quick little PowerPoint of what yeah. is A&E? Um, should, I, should I click to get to the, I my think first so. page? I just don't want to. Uh. I had a problem yesterday where I clicked too far and ended oh, up. Oh, God. I'll ended up playing go. a video well, yeah. all. Anyway. You're not going to do that today. So I'll just, I'm not going to give you a long, boring story about A&E Networks, but I just wanted to, because in this country you, you have, um, thanks to Jim and Foxtel, you have A&E, CI, and History Channel. Um, but we have a, a bunch of other channels that are based out of the U.S. Um, and are all over the world. And we're in, uh, as you can see, over 200 territories um, and in 41 languages. So we have all these brands. The uh, A&E in the U.S. is a bit more crime-focused than it is here. Um, we don't have crime investigation in the U.S., so that's one of the reasons. Um, History Channel, of course, you're familiar with. Lifetime is a female skewing network that does drama, movies, and, um, and reality shows. And um, H2 is a, is a real core history spinoff of history. FYI is a lifestyle channel. And Blaze is actually a new brand that was really inspired by the A&E that Jim had crafted so successfully here in, in Australia. Um, but we wanted to give it its own um, distinction from the A&E in the US. So it's called Blaze. And um, we produce thousands of hours of original content. We do, we're kind of known for unscripted, but um, we have gotten into the scripted business. We did a big uh, history series called Roots, which of course was the remake of the original. Um, and, uh, and so we, we, we make a lot of, a lot of content. And our, we've been uh, expanding globally for a number of years now, and that is, uh, we've kicked that up to another level. And I've actually moved from working in the domestic 
programming and development and into international. So that's why I'm here. Um, yes. But my personal backstory is that from when I joined A&E many, many years ago, which I won't get into, not as far back as Jonestown, but you know, <laughs> uh, but have done a number of really interesting documentaries about Jonestown. Um, we, I had the privilege of working on series like uh, investigative reports and then had the opportunity to develop series like Cold Case Files. So that was one of the early shows that I developed. Uh, the First 48, which is a, which you'll see a clip of if you're not familiar with. It was the first time we uh, got behind the crime scene tape of homicide investigators and we follow them in present tense and that's been on for 13 years, I think. Yeah, I think and, we're uh, playing a little clip from Yeah, there, so I don't, don't, I, I don't want to go too no, far away. Go but, but in terms of what, so, so that backstory is to just give you a sense of the, 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 the auspices that go into crime and investigation. So all of the content um, at least the content that's coming out of the U.S. is coming out of our, uh, mostly out of our A&E channel. Um, but crime investigation, again, thanks to Jim and, um, and, and all the other countries where it is living now, um, it's been a huge success. We were actually there before ID, um, and we see ourselves um, as a place where you're really experiencing the breadth and depth of um, uh, of crime and investigation and everything around it. So it's not just murder investigation. It's it's much broader. Um, the kind of viewer that we are interested in is is a, a viewer that that is interested in asking questions um, and pursuing truth in an active way and engaging and participating and not. It's not a passive experience. So I think that's really important. Um, I think we'll talk. We'll end up talking about some of the the responsibility that goes into yeah, producing like this. So we'll, I won't go get, get into clips. that. But that's a huge, <coughs> huge piece of uh, what we do, why we do it, and why we've been so successful at it for so long. Um, and these are just some interesting stat stats on kind of where we were, what we did first before anyone else. Um, and uh, let's see the clicker. Um, and and it's given us access to uh, levels of law enforcement that no one has, no, at least in the U.S., no one else has ever gotten. And we, we hope that and believe that it opens doors for our partner channel partners around the world as well. So, um, and we are really excited that the world is embracing crime in the way that we are, uh, and we always have. And I think, we'll, well, again, we'll get into the whys of why we think it's so popular, um, but I think it's very basic and very human and when you look at the stories that are in the Bible and Shakespeare and all of that, they're all these stories. And so they really are about our humanity. And I don't think there's anything about people, you know, enjoying people's darkness. I think it's about how do we find our humanity and all that and how do we find um, the balance in the universe and know that everything's going to kind of be okay. So that's kind of my personal belief on that. Anyway. Perfect. Thank you. <clears throat> Tell us about the Foxtel audience for crime because that's a sort of clip from from yes. your channel yeah that's a thematic so it's designed just to sort of um, frame what crime is we did it for all of our channel brands um, just to sort of engender that sort of um, appreciation of, of the genre look that's um lieutenant joe kender that's one of the most successful shows in the world the homicide hunter it's actually a discovery id show it's excellent uh but, you know, our audience, it's, the core is older female. It was a surprise to us when we launched Crime that that was the case. It's well known that it's actually a female core demographic crime. Uh, we launched Crime back in 2005. 
we're the first in the world to launch um, this brand. But, uh, you know, as Laura's just been touching on, it is that sort of female domain because it's unlike history where men generally, the older demographic, are interested in broad-scale things, how things work, how things came to be in legacy. The female older audience is more interested in in the workings of the mind and the, 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 the um, impulses that lead to and the emotions that follow crime and how it collectively it affects all of us. And these are um, seem to be universal sort of interest for the female demographic. And, you know, and in, within there you have, you know, um, looking at sort of um, parenting and... Um, uh, you know, fidelity and all these amazing sort of ingredients that are in a lot of um, literature that women love. And, and um, but crime itself is the jeopardy that is in in movie and you know in film and all these sort of. Um, it's just uh, it, it's it's also something that everyone fundamentally understands. Like a child knows what jail is or good and bad guys. In fact, it's humorous hearing politicians in the last few decades going you know good guys bad guys you're either with us or not you know this sort of good and evil thing so it's so universally easily understood it's a very easy thing to talk to but uh yeah we've maintained a number one position in documentary since launch it's replicated in new zealand it's been a very popular channel um but there's many different um you have to be very careful how you handle it you can't be promoting crime um, you, when it gets very um, intense, you ask questions like why and how. Um, it's a, it, it's an easy thing to to get wrong, and we are very mindful of how we promote crime, for want of a better term, yeah. how we market it. But effectively, we, our role is to sort of shine a light into the darkness and to give people an understanding of of, of how to protect themselves and how to. Um, you know, understand what is going on, and increasingly, it, it's performing that function. We'll always have the latest on any big event, just to get that in-depth look at what the hell just happened, or etc., yep. etc. So that's really a little thumbnail summary of okay. how we approach. And as we go through the clips, we can talk further about some of the issues that mm. um, um, that are raised by the various programs. Stephen, what sort of audience do you think the ABC has for crime? Oh, look, I think um, there's a big audience on the ABC for crime. I mean, it's no secret that our audience is, you know, skews quite old. And um, so your sort of discovery that older females, that's core ABC too. So, um, and it's just all about storytelling, isn't it? True crime. It's really, it's really engaging. So um, we haven't done a huge amount on the ABC, but we're actively looking for more because it works and um, I think it has to be right for the ABC we do things slightly differently to sort of the cable channels who turn crime I think we we like to sort of unpack a crime with a bit more sort of depth and a bit more um, sort of I guess what does it reveal about the nation and what does it reveal about us and it's sort of very much we we sort of would veer away from salacious sensationalizing crime with sort of mugshots but and we'll um, have a look at conviction like in yeah, a minute too. Yeah, let's have a too. look at conviction. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, Susie, SPS. Um, similarly, I suppose, to ABC, we don't have a lot... Um, we've commissioned a lot of crime, but we would like more. We do have a, a huge catalogue of true crime in our acquisitions. We screened OJ Made in America. 
We've got On On Demand, Central Park Five, The Staircase, The Thin Blue Line, Interview with a Murderer, Murder on a Sunday Morning. So there's obviously an appetite there. Um, I think with our commissions, the local commissions in true crime, it has to speak to our charter. So we couldn't do just true crime for the sake of doing true crime. It would have to be something that spoke to uh, multicultural Australia or social cohesion and perhaps um, shone a light on a maligned uh, minority. So um, the clip I'm showing later will yeah. did all we'll of that. that. We can talk about that later. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, Channel 7 and Channel 9, of course, are, <laughs> you know... Eyeball to eyeball with crimes. There's murder calls, there's murder uncovered, there's murder everything. Um, And we're going to see a a clip from um, your latest show, which is starting soon, I believe. Um, But what do you think, and what sort of audience... I mean, you're the EP of the latest show that's coming up soon on Seven. What sort of audience are you making that show for? It's primarily for a broad audience, as we always say. We go as broad as we can. But we know that a lot of females watch crime. Um, but you make the storytelling accessible so all all um, age groups can watch it. Um, but yeah, it's it's always with a commercial network you're going broad. Yeah, um, and that's what my instruction was to do too. See, I'm finding it quite fascinating because you know an older woman sitting here, and I'm completely obsessed by crime. So it's obviously right, which is kind of scary, isn't it, to think that people yeah. like me are sitting around watching this stuff and going, "Yes." But <laughs> um, Laura. You know, you guys do such a broad range, but I'm going to play the first clip for you. And before we play it, I just want to talk to you. One of the most sensational crime series that I've seen in recent years is 60 Days In. And for those who haven't seen it, can you just give a little potted history of how it came about? Well, oh, sorry, <coughs> what it is before, sure, how sure, it came sure. about. Well, I mean, I'll give it t- two seconds of backstory or two minutes of backstory. But, you know, one of the things that we, because A&E Network um, has been in the, in, in core has been a, excuse me, crime has been a core part of the brand. It's a general entertainment channel, but co- crime has been a core part of that from the beginning. Um, so our, and we're a commercial, we're a cable network, but we're a commercial. So we, the challenge is how can we kind of outdo ourselves and what is the next thing that's going to kind of break the genre and so we did cold case files before anybody did cold cases we did the first 48 before anyone got behind the crime scene tape we did beyond scared straight which um, got inside prisons with teenagers Um, and so we're always sort of looking for what that next thing is but it has to be the right thing Um, 60 days in was uh, was what seemed like an insane idea when it first came to us, which was, mm-hmm. well, what if we could, there's this, first of all, there's a sheriff who, um, who had been working very hard to get rid of the corruption in his prison. And he had, had made a lot of progress and thought he had kind of cracked it and then realized that there was still a lot of drugs and a lot of um, bad things going on in the prison. So he opened himself up to the idea of bringing in, you know, how am I going to find out what's really going on? What if I could get people undercover inside the prison? Um, and the way to do that was to uh, introduce regular citizens who were interested in, had their own reasons for wanting to go into to a prison for 60 days, um, where nobody knew, the, the prison guards, the prisoners, nobody knew that they weren't real, real inmates, except for the, the sheriff, the, the warden. And when we first heard this idea, we thought, well, this seems impossible, but this sheriff is already on board, so let's figure out how to do it. Obviously, it's legally very complicated, and and you had to find people who had very good reasons to want to do this. If it felt like they wanted to be on a reality show, it wasn't going to work. 
Um, and the result has been a really extraordinary success. Uh, and it, it really is a commentary on the prison system in the United States, although it resonates because you have to ask yourself, why would someone put themselves in, into a circumstance like this? And then what happens? So there's something inherently interesting about that. And we've just launched our, our third season in a, new, um, in a new jail. I should say, just by way of explanation, that the conceit for it really is that the, there's a documentary crew in there making a film about first-timers, isn't it? Correct. So Correct. that gave the producers a number of opportunities so that if of, you know people do get into trouble, that they did have ways of being able to get out. But there was also this reason of... Well, they're really... I mean, it's... it's yes, I suppose... It, it, they could be the, called in for an interview or something. Well, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, and there is an ability to, to tap out. Um, but... Uh, but the the idea is well, so so there is a you're right. There's a documentary crew in there um, under the auspices of of that they're following first timers. So they're following a lot of people who aren't our yeah your uh, undercovers. Yeah. Um, but there are also fixed cameras, and there are these interview rooms where they can go um, and they do sort of confessionals so that you hear how they're feeling uh, throughout the whole process. Um, and, and things have gone down. I mean, you know, in the first season, someone got punched in the face and someone got put into solitary confinement. And, um, you know, they, it's real. I mean, it's real. So, I mean, fortunately, you know, we, we want to make sure they don't end up getting killed. But, but other than, short of that, it's, they're it not particularly protected. They're so not. it's very, no. it's very um, authentic. So what they're getting and what they were able to gather for the sheriff in terms of information was really, really helpful. So this has opened the door to other jails who are interested in uh, the same kind of experiment. So. I was wondering, I mean, there's so many questions, and I'm sure you guys, go on, I Susie. Question, I was just say, how do you go with the second and third series of that when that conceit is out there? It must be challenging. Well, yeah, it is. We filmed, actually, the first two seasons um, before we, we aired. So the, the network took a huge risk um, and just committed and said, you know, this could... This might never. We may never be able to do this again. Um, I mean, that was honestly what we thought was going to happen with intervention, and that went on for, you know, over a decade. So it's you know it's still in the air. Um, this is obviously a little bit more complicated, and uh, you know we just we just keep shooting and hoping that the cat doesn't get out of the bag. And can I ask Laura as well, what's the profile of the sort of people that actually volunteer to do this? It's really interesting. It's a wide range of people. I mean, they're, they're everything from a mother whose son is in is incarcerated and she wants to understand what his experience is like. In season one, there was this young woman who really looked like, you know, like the size of my finger, um, who went in and you just thought she's going to get destroyed. She went in because her husband was in the military and she felt that prisoners were getting an easy life and they were going to jail and they were being fed and they had a place to sleep and meanwhile her husband is serving the country and is not being treated as well. So she basically wanted to go in and, and, and prove that it was a joke. Um, interestingly enough, she did very, very, very well. And she kind did. of became like a pod boss, which she is did. so weird. She did. She yeah. was quite sort of bossy. I remember her as she, a strong character. But you just thought she, she was, was going to get destroyed, and yeah, she didn't. No, she, was, she didn't. She was, she was great. Um, I remember, I think I, when I was spoke, spoken to you, or maybe I read it, that one of the interesting side effects of the first theories is that the crime rates in the city 
sort of went down because I think people got a real understanding that prison actually wasn't that fun. Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. that something you... I think when I spoke to the producer of the show... Well, um, I didn't... I didn't yeah. That doesn't surprise me, though, because the, one of the byproducts of, of the First 48, for example, has been um, in those... In those cities where we film and the public is able to see the faces of the detectives and they actually call them up they say i want caroline mason to solve my case (laughs) um it 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 helped address a very serious issue because we're filming in inner cities in the first 48 and these are you know these are these are big jails um and everyone feels anonymous so you think the police are against us they're coming into our community just to mess with us, just to arrest, and they don't care what the truth is. And when they saw that the detectives were actually interested in finding out what really happened, it actually really improved um, relations, but more importantly, it got people to come forward. And that's where the biggest problem is in police departments. They won't come forward. So it doesn't surprise me that this yeah, has had a similar type of impact. there was a reduction in people getting um, you know, arrested for serious crimes within quite a short time mm-hmm. because people realised that, hey, it wasn't such a party in prison yeah, after all the guy who ended up in solitary in the first season i was so pleased because i just wanted to punch him out yeah. like he was so annoying i thought you're yeah. gonna get yourself killed he's it's lucky a, he's alive <laughs> we incidentally premiere that on april 26th on ci but um i remember having it described to us that this is social experiment with purpose and that's a sort of mm-hmm. distinction also prison docs don't all, can all often polarize but just putting innocence in seems to kind of uh, overcome a lot of people's reservation about watching something that is quite terrifying. So they can re- you give them someone to relate to. It's a very clever format for that reason. Um, and it's been a phenomenon. I mean, Atlanta apparently is 4% up on the record of, of the earlier seasons in the, in, in the US. So we've got great expectations mm. as well. Um, has anyone tried to do it in Australia? I gather that the format was sold, but no, no, they couldn't um, get it up. Not yet, no. there's um, It's certainly something to consider, but uh, definitely no one's attempted this, yeah. Good luck with doing that in Australia. <laughs> yeah, because you know how difficult it is to get access. Um, look, I am going to move it on because I'm just looking at the time. Um, in fact, I... Because um, one of your big shows is the US Cold Case... Um, Let's just play a clip, and part of the reason I'm interested in this clip is that we're then going to talk to Deb about Million Dollar Cold Case, and we'll have a little exploration about how you made that series and things. So can we play um, US Cold Case, please? One of the things that occurs to me, not just with yours, Laura, but also with Deb's, is cold cases are cold because you can't find the killer. Um, and there's an enormous time process. So when you're choosing those cases, are they close to resolution or how does that work? Do you know? Well, cold case files is, is, um, are cases that are fully resolved. So, uh, but the definition of a cold case is a cold, is a case that's run out of leads. So that a cold case, a case could go cold in a couple of days. Yeah. It could go cold in months and, and remain cold for, for many, many years. Um, we obviously launched Cold Case Files originally um, at the end of the 90s because of, uh, of, of innovations in DNA testing and that sort of thing. Um, and then when it went off the air less than 10 years ago. So when we decided to bring it back, it was for a lot of reasons. One, because these stories weren't being told in this way anywhere. Uh, and we knew that there were many, many cases that had been solved in the, in the intervening years. 
and that there are a whole new range of ways in which these cases are being solved, crowd solving being one of them. Um, but a lot of these cases end up, the, the, the solution ends up being something very simple. Somebody finally comes forward. Somebody remembers something. They redo photographs, and people recognize who it was. And it's, it's kind of the old uh, uh, wearing out your shoe leather is still a, a, a way that these things get solved. So, um, so, so in our series, we're selecting from the very small percentage of cases that ever get solved that have gone cold, and then we're retelling that story through the people who were involved and obviously treating it um, very cinematically and, and approaching it kind of like a, like, a, uh, like a movie with a lot of heart in it. So it's got the puzzle solving, but it's, the family members are very key. Um, we have spin-offs now of this that are present tense cases that are unsolved where there is some sort of ticking clock. There are a number of people who are, uh, have been working on the case for a number of years, and there is the opportunity that it might be solved, or there might be a, there's some, it's sort of heated up, but it hasn't quite been solved yet. So those are, those are things we're exploring as well. That's a perfect segue, really, into a million-dollar cold, cold case. case. Which is the opposite in that uh, this show deals with cases that haven't been solved. Mm-hmm. Um, so this show came about because I was working with Victoria Police on a another concept which didn't happen and they then came to me with the idea that they had um, 10 one million dollar rewards that they were going to announce shortly Um, and it's quite a policy in Victoria for there to be one million dollar rewards for cold cases they'd announced I think they've got 15 on the book so far but the previous year they'd announced five and got no traction in the media and so they realised they needed to do something different and I jumped at the idea of doing a series and within 24 hours of the pitch, Seven wanted the series. So Perfect. It's Great sort of, pitching. It's, Love it. It's, yeah, it was very rapid. And, um, Whoa. Wouldn't we like and, that? 24 hours, guys. Yeah. yeah, and then six months later we're on air. So okay. it's been a very quick thing. Um, it's, it's literally ten separate cases. We've got four episodes. We do two in each of the first two episodes and three in the others. Um, we have access to the original investigators, the current cold case investigators, um, some of the crime scene materials. We have family, we do recreations and we have archive. Um, it's quite extraordinary ac- access from Victoria Police. They've, I don't think they've ever done anything like this before. I've worked with them a lot on other shows. But there was a huge amount of trust in this as well. Um, and we've had to toe the line on certain investigative matters because what do you all mean these by cases, toe the line? Well, all these cases will still one day hopefully be before the court, so we can't do anything to damage the fact that someone should be charged with this murder and will stand trial. So we can't prejudice that at all. Um, in some of these cases, the police have very strong suspects, and we identify those suspects and we talk about them and they talk about them those suspects. In only a couple of the cases, then there's not a strong suspect, there are other suspects, and in one case there are no firm suspects. So you're you're walking a legal tightrope all the way through this because, um, you know, I've got episode three and four with the lawyers now um, because it's a long negotiation process of like 48 hours, um, but it's, it's a lot of to and froing to actually get it over the line to the point where we can tell a good narrative story which gives people the information um, because this is what, to borrow from Jim, is true crime with a purpose. The purpose is the police want the public help to solve this crime. And there is a police-offered $1 million reward. It's got nothing to do with the network. Victoria government um, underwrite it. 
and the police decide who gets the reward and the reward is for new information that leads to a conviction. You hear that phrase a lot in the show because um, it's very specific. Do, do they have much control over... I mean, the, do the police... The Produce a question. I know people will be interested in it. Do they come into the edit suite and go, "No, you can't no, do that." No, no, no. Um, whenever you have a contract with Victoria Police, I think people would know, and that goes for the force and any other highway patrol or whatever nine do and, and that sort of stuff. The contract with Victoria Police is confidential, but I think it's quite well known that they have power of veto over any operational matters. So anything that gives the game away too much, um, they they get a preview. Um, and they give me notes um, and sometimes I will not argue those notes or sometimes I will go back and say, you know, that when it's very clear it's um, an operational matter, that's fine. When it's a subjective matter... That's when you have the yeah. argy-bargy. Yeah, we push back. I'd like to play a, li a little clip. Part of the, the challenge, of course, is you're making documentary and we'll see... We're going to see two clips from it, but the first clip we're going to see is... How sometimes a network um, promotes what is actually quite a traditional documentary form for a commercial network, how they promote it. So let's have a look at... Before you do that, maybe yeah. I just want to add that one of the things about true crime being on every network at the moment has a lot to do with the jinx and making a murderer this yeah. time last year. Yeah. Um, I was in here listening to the jinx guys this time last year, um, not knowing I was going to make this show, but wishing I could make a show like that. Yeah. Um, it's not like the jinx. We don't have the the moment at the end, um, but w you know, certainly borrowed from the idea of the jinx that you don't have to see a murder to know that a murder's happened. Um, you, it, particularly in in these cases, because no one has been convicted of a murder, you will see up to the point of a murder, um, and you will see after the murder. Um, you might hear the murder. You might see a shadow of what we think happened. But again, legally, I have to be very careful about no one's being convicted of this murder, so we don't know actually how it happened. Okay. Um, so, and that's why the networks are jumping at these opportunities here. It's because A and E and everyone's been softening everyone up and yeah. and really promoting that sort of genre that's made the commercial networks here much more interested. And making a murderer was, you know, talked about in our production meetings, which is quite unheard of for. <laughs> A Netflix series to be on an agenda um, in a commercial network production meeting. So I think we have a lot of <laughs> that sort of television to thank. Yeah. Um, and then, yes, I've made a very sort of traditional documentary type show, but on a commercial network, a documentary will not cut through. Um, so the promo department take over and they make their promo. And let's have a look at, uh, we'll first look at the promo and then we'll look at the program and we'll see what how they compare, but not in good or bad, but just how network actually... It's a different tone. Yeah, different tone. Oh, sorry, Laura. Can we play the first clip, please? I love Channel 7's promo department. I mean, they are gods at what they do. I, I mean, yeah. they, in Australia, they are the best. And, I, you know, I'm sure they use the same voiceover guy for everything. But they're awesome. But, you know, they do have to. And I think the reason I was interested in this, too, is that when producers are pitching shows, you might not think you're pitching that. But actually, you are pitching that in order to get your documentary there, really, isn't it, Deb? All, all those words were in the pitch. Yeah, but it's just, just the way it's cut. like that in my mind. I know. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's have a look at what is in your mind. Well, this is the opening of the show yeah. um, that starts next Wednesday. 
Um, so it's fortuitous that it's. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can actually show you this because Hot off we've the released. Press. Yeah, we've yeah. released the press kit this week, and specific promos are going out from tonight. Interestingly, the promos for this specific episode, um, Rebecca Gibney is narrating our show, and as we've been doing the recording, she's got more and more into it because Rebecca is playing a wanted character on mm. television mm. Um, in a drama. So um, Rebecca has just shot some promos for us this week, um, which she didn't have time to do, but she found time to do. So those promos will be softening slightly when we get into the specifics of the cases. Because the cases are real, they are people, there are people still suffering and needing closure on these cases. So with the next level of promo, there's a, a slight tone change because you're you're personalising the promo. You're starting to get people's heartstrings a bit more too, rather yeah. than going bang. Well, it's, it's still, yeah, it's still, you know, putting Aren't a million you? dollar reward up is going to look like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a great selling point. It, it is the selling point. It's the point of difference. It's the reason this show was commissioned so quickly yeah. and is getting to air so quickly. Yeah. And we want results. We hope there are results. Yeah, I'm hoping there'll be million dollar cold cases solved this time next year. Seriously. Yep. Yeah, well, right, the, the network would like them solved the day after we go. Well, of course, but. yeah, but they're greedy. Um, my first question really is: Was it difficult to get access to the families? I mean, I'm sure they're on board. They're on board, and that's again the relationship I have with Victoria Police. They introduced us to the families. Um, it was up to the families whether they um, took part. We only had one family that didn't take part, um, but we're with their blessing. But that story is part of the show. But no, the families have been very generous and that's why it's, it's, all, it's all become very personal for all of us that worked on it um, because the families, as we all know, need that closure. They need that final, that point in the story that they know what happened to their relative. Yeah, because it sort of leaks out when you're watching that, just what are pers- what personal stories. You know, we get a bit carried away with promos and things, but when you actually watch those people and the pain that they're carrying, and I think that crime, as you were saying before, Jim, about, you know, it is a sort of universal story of pain and suffering, really, isn't it? Um, sure. And you can't glamorise that. That's the... Like, I'm eternally grateful for the people that took part in this. Um, but that's when the promos and things you know you get very nervous about because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to feed off their misery. Um, yet it is their raw emotion that actually cuts through and gets people to sit up and think, oh yeah, I, you know, where was I? I lived in that area. None of these stories are famous cases. None of them are underworld connected. None of them are gangland connected. They are all normal Just people going about people. their life mm. who ended up dead. Can I ask a question? Yes. Um, what do you intend to do with the content-wise in terms of if somebody does solve the crime? Do you are you going to incorporate that? In? Yes. Yeah. Um, I've got space each week at the beginning of each episode to cut a, a fresh a fresh update each week. In fact, I have to cut a fresh update. <laughs> oh, that's good. We like that already. <laughs> I've got a minute to fill. So, <laughs> but yeah, even if it's yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued to know how much response they'll get and. And how to weed through the sort of... Uh, I'm imagining it'll turn up a lot of stuff that isn't relevant or... You know, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and police expect that. Yeah. And, yeah, this has taken enormous amount of planning on their side. Um, unusually for a commercial network, I knew the broadcast date of this show the day we started shooting or the day we started pre, yeah. which is really unusual for a broadcast network. But the police had to know that 
not so much back then, but they, they certainly got enough notice to rearrange rosters and things like that um, to account for the information that's going to come in. So unfortunately, all cold case got their holidays cancelled oh. <laughs> the next month or so. Um, I'm just going to move on to SPS, um, deep water. But b- before I do, I mean, is, is this the sort of thing that SPS and ABC would would do? I mean, I think it's fascinating. Oh, it's fantastic. I guess for SPS, I mean, I love the idea of the currency and putting it out to the crowd. I suppose they would According have to, to, the, to your the charter, charter. Exactly, yeah, we love your charter. It's fascinating. <laughs> but as a device, is yeah, it the sort device, of thing? If it was on charter, I think it would be something that we could look at definitely. Uh, but it feels like it might already be done, unfortunately. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. hands off. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Do sixty days in. Um, okay, let's let's talk about um, deep water, mm-hmm. and and let's just play a clip. I don't know how many people saw Deep Water. It was part of a big season that SPS did on drama online and um, with documentary um, about gay hate crimes in Sydney in the 70s? And 80s. And 80s, yeah. Let's just have a little look at Deep Water from SPS. Mm. I mean, I think it was really powerful and it was interesting that it was made by the same producers who did the drama Blackfella Films, wasn't it? One of the things watching that is, and in common with you all really, is that how you tell stories of crime that's already over and done with, really. And there was beautiful recreations in that. Um, what, what, what was it that appealed to SBS, not about the whole story, but about actually doing a documentary around it as well? Um, I wasn't there at the time it was commissioned, so I'm actually I should have checked before I came on whether which inspired uh, obviously the true what, story which came first which came first yeah. But, um, I mean, I think the true story was so compelling it had to be told. And I, I, before I joined, they sent me the link to the um, documentary and I found it incredibly moving, um, surprising. I didn't know about this story. Um, and, again, it's not a true crime story that has, um, you know, it doesn't solve it at the end. It's simply shining a light on an issue that is still unsolved um, and speaks to, I think, what works so well for SBS is, you know, part of our charter is to talk to social cohesion and make a more socially cohesive society. And the way we can do that is by shining a light on marginalised groups and the mistreatment of marginalised groups. And this is quite um, in recent history that these shocking crimes happened and that they've been covered up. So I think for all those reasons, it worked really well for SBS. And is that the sort of story you're looking for now? Um, yeah, I think we would love some more true crime. I think it's, um, it does, again, it, it needs to speak to either social cohesion or multicultural Australia. And it's, I mean, I think we'd be interested in either one-offs or serialised. I think that's a great, you know, with a serialised crime, it's great because there's something to come back for. Um, but again, it would just, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but it would have to speak to something broader than just the crime itself, uh, like Deepwater did so well. Mm. And I mean, in fact, so does 60 Days, yeah. actually, because it's true. Yeah, and that's what I, I think about. Yeah, that's what good crime does, doesn't it? Yep. Um, Stephen, let's um, talk a little bit about conviction, because, again, that's the sort of one that, that ABC's done recently um, about the death of um, Jill Maher in Melbourne. Um, the clip that we've got actually indicates more about the style of the show, but tell us about the access that, that, that drove that from, I think it was John Sylvester, wasn't it? And John Terry Sylvester Carlion. and Terry, Terry Carlion who, from Melbourne who made it, who've got great track record in this kind of really sensitive, you know, access-driven 
crime storytelling. So I think it was all about the trust that the police had in the filmmakers. Um, and they really opened up. And it's, you know, one of the most moving things is you see that human personal side to the police and the detectives who just work night and day to solve this crime. So it was, everyone knew the, the outcome. It wasn't, it wasn't a, did he do it, did he not? It wasn't that story. It was a retrospective story of the conviction of, of, Jill, of Jill Maher's killer. And I think it wasn't, they didn't focus on the death too much either. It focused on the actual mechanics of the investigation and how the police went about it. I remember, I mean, it was well before I joined the ABC, but I remember the crime itself really vividly, and I remember that feeling that when he got caught, that that must have just been a brilliant piece of police work. I was mm. just so impressed that they, they'd clearly really dealt with that in an extremely professional, world-class manner. So I th- obviously it was a story the police were proud to tell, but they still needed to be... Um, feel that they could trust the filmmakers that their story would be done justice and, and I think it really was, it was a remarkable film and, and the audiences flocked to it and it was just a really sensitively handled, beautifully told important story about getting the bad guy Let's have a look at the clip because it goes to the heart of what you're saying Stephen is that it really got into the guts of the investigation which again it comes back again to what we're all talking about which is you need to have the trust of the police I mean, it's a great procedural. You, you actually, when I watched that documentary, I did actually feel like I was watching a TV drama because it was really, really well put together for that. Um, Interestingly, too, I was working on mine when that went to air, and it caused a great lot of conversation among police, um, and made it our job a little bit more difficult because some police didn't like that procedure going to air in that way because that's an operational matter for police, of how they track phones. Um, it was public knowledge because it was told in a court, so the filmmakers had every right to use it. But police hate the public being reminded of how they're caught because they feel that it's a step-by-step step guide yeah. how to avoid being caught. Um, but it was a brilliant documentary. It was. And, um, you know... And I loved it for that exact reason, is that you sort of did really feel that you were getting behind the scenes, didn't you? Yeah, you did. I mean, actually, pretty much all that information was available if you'd actually... I mean, it wasn't... There wasn't actually any revelatory new information, but it was just the way it was all put together and the police Mm. explaining the step-by-step timeline of those few days before he was caught. The next two weeks shooting for me were hard. Right, yeah. Yeah, I noticed that you had the same detectives. Well, yeah, we've got a lot of the same detectives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and the one that interviewed... But perhaps, um, you know, they also became across as so human. I think you often see those police police procedures, you know, they're so sort of straight Mm. a lot of the time that they, you know, they almost all showed their real human frailty and the emotional side of as human beings of looking at dealing with that crime. And I think that was really powerful about it, that you just don't often see police just being so vulnerable yeah. and that was and in so Victoria powerful. in particular they're schooled in the the 10 second news grab they have lessons in it and and refreshes and things like that so it's it's very difficult to get them out of that speak and when they do they speak with such passion and such conviction and emotion really, I mean and, that, that, you're right yeah, the that emotion. one in particular I just remember the outrage that this guy had just been raping for years and then, you know... He, he was out on bail, well, too. was the thing. Our audience was registering sort of why are we so soft on crime, yeah. especially if they've been seeing this sort of American justice, which is quite severe. Mm. So I think I remember at the time this sort of rising tide and what's wrong with our, 
you know, legal system or how the hell can this guy, he's known to police, you know, it, it, does it take this for us to, you know. So it's unsurprising he was a suspect. You know, you'd think you'd just go to the top of the list mm. to look, find out who did this. But, um, yeah, that's something we often notice, that sort of massive difference between uh, perception people have of, of, of the the law here as a because of movies and, and an American system they see and what is actually happening, which is quite lenient, actually, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and I think that whole thing about police procedure is, is what fascinates Oh, it fascinates people. us and that's what we'd all like to include yeah. in our stories. But yeah. Is that the sort of thing the ABC's looking for, another conviction? Are you doing more work with Terry Carlin and uh, I mean, it's a, it, absolutely the sort of thing we're looking for. It's just a really high-class documentary telling a really in-depth story about one crime. So, yeah, we're definitely looking... Uh, at doing more like that and we've got various things in development looking at doing that kind of thing where we really unpack one crime in a in a sort of really deep way yeah and presumably though there's no point just coming out and saying i'd really love to do this doco on you know this enormous exciting case without the access already organized yeah i mean there's a lot of ducks to get in a row to get these kind of films yeah made and it is complicated and obviously the funding system also takes time so it's complicated, but they really do work. So um, we're we're definitely interested in those. Okay, um, <clears throat> I'm going to um, talk, come back to the first forty-eight because again, I think it's coming into this sort of police procedural path that we're talking about here. Um, can we just play the because that's Foxtel um, police? Uh, sorry, can we play the first forty-eight, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, both I think you and Laura can talk to that so who wants to go I'll just quickly jump in I mean uh, the high chance that things get solved in the first 48 if it goes beyond that the case doesn't normally get solved correct this one of you well the the conceit of the show uh, when we started it and this was back in 2003 when we were developing it, it it based on a statistic that came out of all the police departments that we talked to um, and I have to give credit to Granada, um, John Kim, and Charles Tremaine, who who did the research and came up with the idea. And actually, it was inspired by something called the critical hour in emergency medicine, because they had done a um, a medical show where if you, you know if you didn't get medical attention within a certain period, your odds of, of surviving were were redu- greatly reduced. And so they thought, well, there must be something like that in crime. And and what they found in speaking to homicide investigators was if there wasn't a lead, a strong lead within the first 48 hours, then their odds of solving the case went down about 50%. And so that became the framework for, for and that alongside of the fact that we got access to film with homicide investigations in, in real time, which had not been done before in a series, um, what you know that was the basis of the the concept and then it was sort of like okay how do we actually put this together how many police departments do we need to be in any one time um and so normally it was between four and five over the years and we've been filming now since consistently since 2003 um over 300 episodes and there's no sign of the series going uh, going away and i think what there are many elements to why i think it's s- stood the test of time one is that simple clock and that the the true sense of a race against time because it's absolutely authentic um i think the other is uh the balance of procedure puzzle solving and the humanity of it 
we do have family members involved, but we absolutely see these detectives as human beings. These are people who are really dedicated to figuring out what happened. Um, and they're not always dealing with cases that it's the innocent lady down the street. I mean, sometimes these are, a lot of times these are inner cities and they're drug dealers and things like that. But every one of those people is somebody's kid or somebody's father or mother. So we get to see these detectives as real people who are really motivated um, and really care about doing the right thing and really care about finding out the truth. So I think that that has, as I mentioned earlier, that's why it's improved the relationships um, in those communities, which historically had been really bad between yeah. the police and the people who live there because these, you know, these are not fancy neighborhoods who feel like they're being taken care of by, by police. So, um, so it's been, uh, it's all the things everyone's been talking about, which yeah. is that you've got to conduct yourself um, with integrity and you've got to be very respectful of the rules these are real cases these are real victims these are real suspects this is the investigation that you have to be very careful that you don't jeopardize mm -hmm. because if you screw it up because of what you showed on television you've really impacted someone's real life and, yeah. and there are many you know that 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 carries on so I think um, it's been an, an incredible honor to, can, to work on this series from the beginning and to meet all the law enforcement people that we've dealt with. Sure, we hear about police corruption, but most people who are in law enforcement are really incredibly mm -hmm. genuine people. They don't make much money. They work really hard and they believe in doing the right thing. And it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. So it's, we've been very lucky. Um, and a lot of cases have been solved because of the exposure of the, of the cases on television. And it, it's a... Um, it's a continuous cycle. Um, doesn't mean we don't have a lot of problems with policing in the United States. We certainly do. Um, so Live PD is another show that we do, mm -hmm. which we could talk about if you like. Um, but well, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's a series that we're very proud of. So how do you handle the legals of putting things to air before the case is resolved? It's a, a, in the United States, every state has a different set of rules about um, what you can show um, and what there's, there's something called a one and two party state for recordings and audio recordings. So we film in one party consent states, which means that as long as we have the consent of the police and that suspect who's being interviewed in the interrogations, because the interrogations are the most um, popular part of the show, um, and just incredible, incredible conversations and. It's, it's amazing how many times people just end up confessing because the detectives are, are so effective at really just getting them to relax and tell the truth. Um, uh, it, so, so, it's a, so we are able to show that conversation. Um, many, in some cases, we have to blur the, the suspect, um, but if they, as long as they've been charged, then we can show the, the program as it is. If later the charges are dropped, then we have to go back and either just cut that whole story out of yeah. an episode or whatever. So it's an incredibly rigorous process leading up to, during, after, um, and it's ongoing. I mean, there are episodes that we made in 2003 that we have to continue to track and see what the status of that case is. So there's an incredible amount of responsibility that goes along with a And do your law enforcement people have a right of veto at all over content? They have, it's a, similar to, to yours, it is about um, is this um, a procedural thing that, is, uh, that can't be on air, is this um, a piece of information that could jeopardize the fairness of the adjudication of this case. Um, and in many cases we make our own judgment calls about do we think this is going to put someone in danger? A yeah. witness who's decided to come forward who says, yeah, show my face, and we're like, that guy's going to kill you, so no, we're not going to do that. Children obviously are never. We're always they're always blurred and not not included. 
Mm. Um, so, good. Sorry, I could go on forever. I no, I love <laughs> that show too. Um, I am going to skip the next clip um, just to yeah. warn um, Travis up there because we're just about out of time. And there is one show that I really want to talk about, which is Foxtel's new local commission. Yep, Court Justice Sydney. Yep. And that'll go to where in July, but we manage, it's all about access really. If you can get access somewhere that others have never been able to, or you can illuminate um, a new world of crime. So the Downing Centre in Sydney, Magistrates Court, uh, if you get convicted of a parking fine you haven't paid or you've murdered someone, doesn't matter. Everyone has to go through this Magistrates Court. So you've got this tide of humanity pouring through there. You really do feel for those magistrates who are having to deal with just so many um, cases every day before it escalates to other courts. So we got access there. Um, we rigged the courtroom um, and just let um, just let it happen, really. And so it was so a fixed camera rig. Absolutely. Should we have a look at it and then yeah. we'll have it? And it's made by Cordell Jigsaw. Yeah, Jigsaw, yeah. We yeah, did something okay. earlier, I will say, with King's Cross ER, we had a... Um, that was the first time we got into, um, you know, an emergency ward like that. And That's right. It just exposed other aspects of society. In fact, that we won a Logie for that because it coincided with the one-punch rule yeah. uh, lockouts. Very timely, but similar thing. It's very hard to do that, um, uh, and that's how it was achieved, yeah. All right, let's have a look, please, at um, Sydney Justice. Mm. It's really good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating just to get a sense of... I don't know how many people here have been to court for whatever reason. I was a witness years ago um, to a robbery, and you know it's just very bizarre when you're in there and then you see it act. You know the the law in action and the sort of prosecuting um, the, the the excuses made. Um, so it just talks to humanity and how we deal with crime, and um, it, you know it illuminates um, all of that. There is a there is a perception of how it is, and then it, there's how it is. Um, in particular, I remember the, the waiting room um, when we went there for a visit. It was just, some of it looked like central casting. You know, there were people with face tattoos sitting in there, you know. Um, and, you know, you wouldn't script it. You'd think it'd be cliche. Some people look very criminal, others didn't. But then you've got, um, in some cases, sort of disheveled sort of lawyers there just with a lot of paperwork. It just looked chaotic. And then you've got that sort of... Um, old uh sort of process you need to nod when you walk in and you know how you would it, it it just seems like from another time mm. um and there's sort of every now and then their prisoners are or people being convicted are being escorted in by um, police which yeah. is sort of a bit confronting you're thinking why is that you know yeah. but uh it makes a very good viewing um it's very intense uh and then you know at times you wonder you know why was that verdict reached you know etc so uh it really for our audience i think will fascinate them because of seeing that for the first time did anybody have the right the people in court did they have the right to say no absolutely they have okay. to sign releases. did many people say no absolutely several you know many did um and there are ways around that but um and it is tricky because uh, depending on how your case goes you can be moved to another court yeah so it's very hard to get that continuity happening but um we were very happy with the result Cordill did a great job in in achieving that um getting those um um getting all those people to agree but um 
and you just do feel for the serial offenders who are obviously aren't pulling their life together and it, it speaks to problems in society like you know ice addiction and homelessness and um, you know family family breakdown and I think the female audience will sort of respond to these greater issues mm. it's not just crime itself it's just speaking to society and mm. and um, and then you met you you understand that the magistrates often they've got a very good intention they're here to change and, and make, make it make a difference and then you can see the frustration of the police who just want to get this person off the road or yeah, you know there's that tension street, yeah. you know and you it it plays out in courts everywhere but uh it, it is showing um you know how law is enforced in Sydney and in court. It's very I interesting. I it, think it's, it's fascinating because actually that could sit on any network, actually. And, um, and and is that the sort of stuff Foxtel's looking for or have you done that? Look, if, so yeah. I mean, it, moving on to other things? It's all about having a relevant uh, relevance so, um, to our audience. We, we broadcast, we curate a lot of international crime from all over the world. Um, obviously, an audience is interested in their local... Um, uh, community and stories that reflect. So that is Australian stories. That's what we're about. If access is a great thing, uh, new revelations of, of of an incident or crime, absolutely important. Um, uh, so yeah, a reason to have people want to to sort of find out more. But yeah, absolutely. If if it's compelling. So I mean, this is sort of like an ob doc reality style show. There's docudrama. There are, you know, different ways we can tackle any kind of um, storytelling. But, uh, yeah, we'll Good. respond to how this performs, yeah. Well, I've just looked at the clock and we've run out of time. And so I'm terribly sorry we've actually run out of time for questions. But the guys are here, so you can come and talk to them and have your personal own question and answer session. I do want to thank the panel. They've been completely generous with their time and their clips. And also to tell you that there's another session starting at 11.30 that you might like it, which is Sanjay Singhal from Voltage TV in the UK. But in the meantime, thank you guys. You've been an absolute pleasure to talk to. You have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline or the Acme website.